0: You don't have a favorite
1: wall. I've never considered it. I mean, <laughs> look, favorite color, favorite food, favorite dinosaur. No one ever asked me what my favorite oh. wall
2: was. And now we have three questions for you.
1: 1980s now. <laughs> Is the first one favorite wall? Because no, I don't no, have,
2: I have one. one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we know it's not sugar walls. <laughs>
2: Like <laughs> my favorite. favorite walls are... Uh, oh, sh- no. no. Sh- sugar no. variety. <laughs> I love sh- sugar walls. <laughs> hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its its influence right now today. Hey, my name is Will, and joining me, as yeah. always, are my friends and co-hosts, Kat, wow. s- sitting in front of her favorite wall, and John, <laughs> sitting in front of all of his favorite collectibles, items. Favorite everything. Hello, friends and co-hosts. <laughs> so aptly named. And
0: I'm looking at two of my
2: favorite people. Oh, that's sweet of you. Right. And I like <laughs> you guys too. Hey, my, na- well, my name is John. <laughs> hey, on today's, well, oh, before I forget about that, oh. listen to one of Kat's favorite people, John, on his very own podcast, oh, Gen yeah. X Grown Up. Mm. Yes, thank there you. you. Right. Okay. Hey, on today's show, we're going to talk about a number of things. A number of 19, I'm going to say it this way so it doesn't sound like, uh, pe- so people don't tune out. Hey, on today's show, we're going to be talking about a number of uh, current news stories related to 1980s media, including uh, there's a new Garfield movie coming mm. with a familiar voice Ooh. actor. Oh, boy. Uh, the Highlander <laughs> reboot is uh, finally underway. Warwick Davis uh, is uh, embarrassed by the uh, fate of Willow on Disney plus mm. and Warner brothers reverses its course on the coyote versus Acme film that I didn't know about until I learned <laughs> that there mm-hmm. was, wasn't, was going to be one and wasn't going to be one.
0: But today years old.
2: Yep. And yep. then later on, I'm going to give you an <laughs> update on the status of my novel outcasts, which I've been uh, working on furiously here in between <laughs> our <laughs> regular episodes, I guess. And uh, along those lines, I want to tell you about a particular aspect. Well, two different things that caught me sort of challenged. Um, last time we talked about it. A couple mm. of roadblocks and how I've, uh, the things I've learned in connection with those, which uh, one in particular is is, is directly tied Ooh. to some events from the 1980s. Uh, that's appropriate. And that's that. Cool. All, All right. right. Hey, mm-hmm. no need to delay. Let's uh, jump right into it and get caught up on 1980s news. We've delayed enough behind the scenes talking about cats, purple wall and <laughs> me <sighs> having heart attack. Purple wall, purple wall.
0: <laughs> yeah. Love it. I could go uh, on about my purple wall, but go ahead, Will.
2: Oh, I can't imagine there's more to say. <laughs> she has a favorite
1: wall and she has more talking points on it too. Do.
2: <laughs> oh, we got to see her wow. notes on that. At the end of the show. Hang on, hang on. I got something I want to add about the wall. Flip, flip, flip. Hey, this week (laughs) in 1980s News, Jim... So, just as a little recap from our childhood here, uh, you know, childhood here first. Jim Davis's long-running comic strip, Garfield, was first adapted into animated form in 1980 for the special The Fantastic Funnies, but... He's probably first reached a wider audience. Certainly not probably factually. He first he he reached a wider audience in 1982 with the television movie "Here Comes Garfield," which aired along a rebroadcast of Peanuts. It's a great pumpkin Charlie Brown. What a what a lead in or lead out. What's the opposite of a lead in, John? A lead out. Uh, I don't. hmm. uh, Is there a opposite of a lead out? I I don't know. The lead out matters, but I guess it it doesn't. well, it's to, it's together in a block. That animation block was viewed by, apparently by 50 million people at the time, which is, I don't uh-huh. think we get that anymore. Mm. There's no single television block of shows or a single show that's pulling that anymore, right? I don't think, not, not in a live viewing. No, I mean,
1: only the Super Bowl comes even close yeah. and it doesn't have the draw that it used to really mm-hmm. because I can watch anything else, yeah. anywhere else at the same time. It's not like, yeah. It used to be everything shut down yes. when a big event like that happened. Nobody else is doing anything. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I can go re-watch Suits if I want to during the Super Bowl. It's not like it's not on, you know? Right.
0: Yep. <laughs> yep. And I would, because I don't yeah. watch the Super Bowl.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's just okay. it's such a different time. Uh, you mm. know, so I mentioned it, it ran uh, with uh, the Peanuts cartoon, which it was a rebroadcast of it from the 80s, because they, I think it originally aired like in 1966, uh, mm. the Great Pumpkin, Charlie mm. Brown. But- mm-hmm. The peanuts. Yeah. Curiously, just yeah. as an aside, while Davis was in the studio working on how to convincingly depict uh, an animated Garfield dancing in this show, mm. because in the P- comics the the cat always walked on four feet, but now suddenly he's got this shot of making this animated special. He's got to dance. It mm. turns out that in the same studio was legendary peanuts creator Charles Schultz. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So he he redrew Davis's work. <gasps> Oh, to, to to sort of guide him, advising him that, quote, the problem is you've made Garfield's feet too small, like tiny cat feet. <laughs> so we may have uh, Charles Schultz, a creator of Peanuts, to thank for Garfield's sort of oversized uh, feet. So I was going to say boats. Paws. But uh, paws. <laughs> there you go. You know, Why did you say I was say boats. Why would you say paws? I was trying to think of a. <laughs> well, this is, this is literally what happened. What other people, like some people refer to like their feet, like they say dogs. My dogs are barking. My dogs. But yep. then I was like, it's not gonna make mm-hmm. sense if I say dogs when I'm talking about a cat. That's gonna be really confusing. What else do people Ooh. call feet? I think I heard someone say something about their boats,
0: maybe? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I have a friend who calls my husband's shoes like canoes because they're oh, huge. See,
2: then maybe if you <laughs> have size fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you have big feet, maybe then like getaway biscuits or
0: <laughs> What <hunting laughs> Wait my what? Is getaway. getaway biscuits?
2: Yeah. Everybody you don't know that old saying? <laughs> that old adage?
0: <laughs> Getaway. Yeah.
2: yeah, it doesn't even mean what you think it means. Yeah, Kat.
0: I don't know what to think it means.
2: It's like a pot
1: pie a day. You know, it's yeah. just
2: normal, common right, exactly. nomenclature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Garfield was adapted into eleven more television series, nine of which aired in the nineteen eighties alone, and never again. Nope, <laughs> they put that cat down. <laughs> well, later in the decade, though, Garfield and Friends aired on CBS as part of its Saturday morning children's lineup. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, mm-hmm. just a great. Wonderful time to be able to watch Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, oh, yeah. But this particular one aired uh, from September of 88 through December of 1994. Now, Lorenzo Music, uh, whose ver- for, uh, his first voice acting credit was as Carlton, the unseen doorman on Rhoda. Do you remember that? Oh, Are we yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a bell. This is Carlton your doorman? I yeah. never mm-hmm. saw him, but he, he actually voiced Garfield uh, until his death huh. in 2001.
1: That is the yeah. same voice.
2: Oh, my goodness. That's.
1: Epiphany. And he did a number of
2: cartoon characters throughout the 1980s. Most interestingly to me is he voiced, all right, check this out, right? He voiced Peter Venkman on the real Ghostbusters.
0: Yes.
2: Instead of uh, Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hear him
1: on yeah. that show. That, like the, the timber of that voice, the Garfieldy right. sound. Yep, yep, yes. I can hear it. Now, when yeah, they come cool.
2: to make, they ultimately make CGI, you know, animated versions of Garfield later in the 2000s. Lorenzo Music's no longer with us. Who do they get to uh, voice Garfield? Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Yeah, that's kind of a turn of twisted twist <laughs> that's of fate, right? right? It's interesting.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now, that's, yeah, that's kind I, I of would think
2: that Lorenzo Music was chosen to do Vankman because they thought he had some kind of similar sort of quality to Bill Murray, mm-hmm. and Bill Murray was chosen because he had similar quality to Lorenzo Music. But it turns out Bill Murray, the, the way the legend goes, is he only accepted the the uh, contract to do Garfield film because it was written and maybe directed or directed by a man named Joel Cohen. C o h e n. And he thought mm-hmm. he was going to work for the legendary, I say legendary a lot, Cohen brothers, which include Joel and Ethan Cohen. O E N. That's how the story goes. That's the story. I don't. I don't know if it's true. seriously. Yes. <laughs> now you're all caught up on all things Garfield. <laughs> uh, well, to bring it to, to, to today, to today, because Sony Pictures Animation has released a trailer for the Garfield movie, the latest animated feature based on the lasagna-loving cat. This time. <laughs> The titular cat is voiced by none other than Chris Pratt. I mean again what? with this guy? Can we just have him not do don't, something? <laughs> he doesn't have to be yeah. everybody. He
1: can just be somebody in something.
2: And, and mm-hmm. he's he's not hired because look, he's not hired because he has any connection to Mario, for example. Right. <laughs> right. That was fine. He's not hired yeah. because he has any kind of connection to I think the vibe of Garfield as you know, is was represented on the cartoons, or the sound of Lorenzo music, this kind of very uh what's the word? Uh, uh not laissez-faire. Somber? I know it is. Somber sort of, of, uh, sort of S- Subdued. Yeah. Yes. Subdued is a good word. Apathetic That's good word I'm thinking. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. That I, works I too. Right? So here's a clip of Chris Pratt from the trailer. You let me know do if you think this sounds any different than Andy Dwyer, the, uh, <laughs> Emmett from the Lego movie, Mario, Star-Lord, Jurassic Park, anything. pick one. Yeah. You know.
1: I apologize in advance. The eating you're about to see will not be pretty. And if you have young children, this would be a good time for them to leave the room. I think that's a scene from Parks and Recreation. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, that's the game you, I should have played. He might
1: even be at the shine stand, in fact. It's early Chris Pratt. Uh, that's
2: the game I should have played. Yeah, that would have been a good one. Yeah, that's a good idea. <sighs> uh, anyway so uh, look I, I thought to myself this is the first thought I had why does he have to do everything but it turns out I wasn't the first <laughs> person to asked this question because in 2021 writing for the Daily Beast Laura Bradley asked why the hell is Chris Pratt voicing every animated character mm-hmm. now to his credit Bradley writes that Pratt is quote a human being capable of speech <laughs> well so am I and they're not casting me well, that, yeah that's exactly her point that's his only qualification she then concludes Ooh. that no one has a, quote, bigger Odie energy than Pratt.
0: Right. Quote. He's not
2: Garfieldy. <laughs> of course, we'll remind you that Odie doesn't and speak.
1: Odie.
0: <laughs> so let's choose him. Right. Oh, let's choose him for that then. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, one of our listeners, yeah. one of our faithful listeners, uh, Nathan, posted yeah. on Facebook, uh, why mm-hmm. has no one hired... Judge
1: Reinhold to voice Garfield. He's got an apathetic vibe if he wants one. That is true. I do Mm -hmm. like that casting choice. That's a good one. Yeah.
0: But you know why? He's not not young enough is
1: the bottom line. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought Bill Murray was a surprising choice at the time. Yes. Because he he was different enough from music, the original guy. However, Bill Murray acted when he was being Garfield. Mm -hmm. He acted a little more subdued and a little more apathetic and morose and unaffected, right? Just not interested in the outside world, which Bill Murray can do. We know he can Mm -hmm. do already. That's in his range. Mm -hmm. But when I listen to this trailer and Pratt, it's just like you said, it's just, hey, how's it going, Andy Dwyer? You know, he's just being (laughs) goofball Chris Pratt and- that's soccer yeah.
2: It's
0: a mismatch.
2: Yeah. yeah. Pratt is joined by Samuel L. Jackson, Nicholas Holt, H- Hannah Waddingham, Cecily Strong, <gasps> Ving Rames, Brett Goldstein, and Bowen Yang. Oh, you've got two Ted Lasso folks in there, Brett Goldstein yes. and Hannah Waddingham.
0: That's I'm cool. so excited to, to hear them. Like, yep. I'm not necessarily excited about the movie, but mm-hmm. I'm going to have fun picking
2: them out. Uh, another 1980s news. Per deadline, the Highlander reboot is officially moving forward. There's not a whole lot to yeah. say about this, except I'm surprised it actually is, is happening. I think this was one on, on, on our list of whatever happened to these show, uh, movies mm-hmm. that we were told were coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm actually surprised to move forward at all. But, you know, I, I can, uh, there's some encouraging things about this. And, you know, like most of these things, we're just going to have to maintain a wait and see attitude, I think. But uh, mm-hmm. John Wick director Chad Stoleski said, uh, has been develop- or rather discussing this reboot and his passion for this film for a long time now. Uh, right. But now, deadlines confirmed that the project is officially on. Uh, they also confirmed that Henry Cavill of uh, Superman, uh, the DC's mm. uh, DCU, recent to uh, Superman anyway, he's no longer Superman. He was previously rumored to be uh, taking on this uh, role, and it now he actually is in fact set to star. Uh, of course, the original 1986 film starred uh, Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery, and Clancy <laughs> Brown. And explored this world in which immortals were hunting one and each other down. <laughs> <laughs> were you talking
1: about the Highlanders still? Yeah. Oh, yes. my God. You notice how they're not making Death
2: Wish movies anymore, right? Huh. That's, well, well, yes. Okay. Not technically. You notice- they're making Death Wish movies okay Ish right movies. death wishish there's
1: there's a style of movie from the late 70s early to mid 80s yeah of the there's several of them you know like yeah. the the big rambo beefcake superhero the lone wolf in, in that's the highlander thing you know who's out he's above everything it's right. you know it's it's what what every loner kid wants to be is i'm actually a highlander that's why i have a giant so you know <laughs> it's almost like a it's like a subgenre of these adventure movies that I feel like we've grown out of mm. Mm. there's some things like the fall guy and ghostbusters and whatever, they're kind of timeless, but those kind of like hyper masculine Uber, Uber bravado outside of the system, loner guys mm-hmm. Cobra, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if the world wants that still anymore. I know people love the Highlander nostalgically. I'm not sure they would like a brand new something in that vein if it didn't have the nostalgia attached. Am I am I off base here?
0: Oh, I think, yeah, I think you're onto something. Maybe they're going to twist it like the fall guy.
1: Oh,
2: no.
0: Maybe it won't be macho. <laughs> Maybe
2: He's going to be, be a lovable scamp. He's a sensitive Highlander. I don't really want to cut your head off.
0: Maybe there can be two. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I was uh, with with uh, Fall Guy being back. Now, again, your, your point being that maybe it's just because nostalgia, they're using that brand. But I was also thinking about the Ghostbusters because that and then Highlander reminded me of David Sirota's book, Back to Our Future, uh, mm. in, in which David writes. And we talked to him about this a long time ago now, it seems like. But about that during the 1980s, there was this distrust of government. And so yes. we had a number of TV shows and films. Where people, regular individuals, were taking it upon themselves to do what otherwise they would rely on the police and, you know, Mm -hmm. government agencies. Mm -hmm. Mm And he throws the Ghostbusters in there. That's a non-governmental agency that has to save the world from, you know, these Mm -hmm. supernatural things. Highlander's not saving us. He's just kind of competing to be, I don't know, all powerful. But, mm-hmm. I, but based on those other two films and Fall Guy, I would put in that regard, too, because he was helping, you know, as we mentioned, solve crimes and mm-hmm. see people like the equalizer, like the A-team.
1: Knight Rider. Mm-hmm.
2: I was wondering if there is an appetite for that kind of thing now and what that says about mm-hmm. our feelings now about the government. Because in the 80s, again, this has come in post-Watergate, post-Vietnam, that, you mm-hmm. know, we had sort of an inclination to be suspicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, conspiracy theories make, you know... <laughs> there's a certain bullshit narrative that makes you definitely should distrust the government and that I don't buy into yep. but I wonder if that's in mm-hmm. part fueling an interest in these films, Highland, maybe Highlanders part of that. like, you know, contrary to what you're saying, John, maybe there is. Yeah. And along those lines, the same people that yep. believe the bullshit are for the machismo stuff. Like they'll hate it. If they do cat <laughs> suggestion about maybe there can right. be only two. Right. Water it down.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can take my Highlander sword when you pry it out of my cold, dead hand. Yeah, right.
2: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Round one, fight. Now, if you're a fan of the film, the reason uh, Stolesky claims that the project has taken so long to develop is because he says, unlike John Wick, which carved its own path forward, this uh, Highlander's got uh, a number of films in in a TV series That all Mm -hmm. together creates the brand's mythology. And he -hmm. has been working to honor all of it in a two
1: hour movie, which I I don't know how you do that. All you have to do is just not contradict it at least. So on the positive side, it sounds like it's not a reboot.
2: Yes. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. a reboot,
1: that's why you reboot. You're like all that, throw it away. We're doing our own thing. Mm -hmm. So I applaud that. I just, I'm not sure if it's something that we still need. Right. The box office shall judge me yeah <laughs> That's a sample we're going to hear in a couple of years that will's going to play back. The box office will judge me. Da-da-da! the music on the back end.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. They'll have the flashback music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I love the flashback music. Yeah, yeah uh, I don't know. Even within the Highlander, its own uh, <laughs> you know franchise, it has problems internally with its own mythology mm. and oh. continuity. Yeah. Ugh, whatever. Uh, I don't know. I really liked the first one. After that, they were terrible.
1: the first first one is is great yeah it and then it it took it a life its own but
2: yeah i don't yeah i I don't know but you know there is some kind of thing to that i I do like matching of genres although i don't Mm. think it was as effective in the he-man that we got because i would love to have seen attorney and all that i do like the idea of placing a fantasy character in a modern setting like in a modern city like that kind of yeah you know mishmashing of sort of uh, I don't know different genres of films, settings, et cetera. That, so I think that's kind of cool. Splash? No, because what would be a mermaid movie? <laughs> the, I don't mean necessarily fish out of water or half fish out of
1: water. That's a little on the nose. As
2: a mythical creature in a modern setting, I thought that's yeah. what. You no, no, said. no. What, like what? what I mean is like like the first like the beginning of highlight. It's got to be the first half hour, I think. Right. He is, and then it's told subsequently in flashbacks, maybe, maybe that's more what it is, is him in these medieval settings and different settings. So that's a whole, that's Conan. That's a, that's a whole other type of film. Mm -hmm. Then Mm -hmm. now we have this movie set, you know, that dropped in New York city. It's a different film. It could be, if it wasn't for folks with swords and they just had guns, you know, it could be some other gritty crime thriller, Mm -hmm. but they put those together, part fantasy, fantasy film, part you know, crime drama.
1: Oh, so it's not so much a fantasy character. You're just being like like, the crossing of the genres, which I think you actually said Mm. that I
2: missed. So Okay. Like uh, aliens versus cow or cowboys versus aliens is kind of a, I didn't like that movie. I didn't think it was good, but not
1: a great example of a film, but a great example (laughs) of the point you're trying to make. Yes. Yes. There you go.
2: (laughs) And other 1980s news and also from Deadline, Warwick Davis calls the fate of Willow hashtag embarrassing. Oh, that's how you say stuff nowadays. Hashtag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You guys. Hashtag uh, facts. We, we had talked about how uh, Willow was seemed canceled. And then right. uh, Jonathan Kazan came forward and said, it's not mm-hmm. canceled so much it's on pause. But for contractual mm-hmm. reasons, reasons, we have to release the actors because we don't know when we're going to start shooting again. Right. Well, and then earlier this year, we didn't talk about this, but Disney removed Willow and a number of dozens, just dozens and dozens of other shows from their streaming Hmm. network, uh, including, I think it was their new Turner and Hooch, uh, their new Mighty Ducks show that they had. They had some shows where they didn't air all the episodes and they just cut it. Um, Wow. Stuff like that. Um, Why bother. mm -hmm.
0: It's not like putting it in the vault.
2: (laughs) No, no. You can't. Or is it? And I do want to talk about that. Well, the cut, it turns oh, okay. out the cuts are mostly made by, you wouldn't be surprised, right? By bean counters who weigh uh, things like the cost mm-hmm. of carrying that library content based mm-hmm. on how much they have to pay residuals, participants, mm-hmm. royalties. You've got streamers like uh, Netflix that have to pay licensing fees to companies because for movies they didn't produce themselves. And they mm-hmm. weigh that against mm-hmm. viewership and the particular titles ability to, to lure more subscribers or create less mm-hmm. turnover. And <laughs> yeah, it's just gone. And and the thing about something like a willow is, because Disney created it, mm-hmm. it's just gone. Gone, gone. When, when did we talk about
1: this? Like, it had to be four huh. or five episodes ago. We were talking about how you're at the mercy of streamers right. who could yes. just take anything away from you at right. any time. You had an Apple movie, Will, that yes. you're like, well, I paid for this. Yeah. I'm like, oh, here's your money back. No, I want the movie. Yeah, I bought right. the movie. Well, right. you can't have that. But it's there's another example of it, and it's budgetary maybe for residuals or whatever. But that wasn't a problem. And look, I'm not, you know, technology is bad. Get off my lawn. I hate the clouds yeah. kind of guy. <laughs> but we have lost something. <laughs> I hate the clouds. Man, old man shouts at Cloud. <laughs> Yes, Yes, exactly. Yes. Perfect. See? That's perfect. Yeah, nice. (laughs) Nicely done. We have lost something because not only, first of all, there was never, to my knowledge, a Blu-ray release of Willow to go and buy. Now, they might Mm. sell one later. Who knows? Um, But if you didn't record it and keep it on your TiVo or use some other nefarious means to get it yourself, you just don't have it anymore. Yeah. But you paid for the subscription to get it and you thought, well, now I own it. Now I can watch it when I want. Or maybe they're up mm-hmm. to episode six and they're about to watch seven. Nope, it's all gone because yeah. they thought they had it. Because You're at boom. the mercy of this. You pay them. You think they're the stewards of your media.
2: And really, they're the gatekeepers of your media. Oh, man. Just yeah. don't know That's that article right there. Yeah, and, and to your point, even if it was on Blu-ray, I've, I've moved away from that technology because I had faith in this digital mm-hmm. era. Right, So what exactly. I got to do, I got get a Blu-ray player now and start that library again? <laughs> I just downsized all that stuff. i never owned a Blu-ray player, ever. Yeah, I and now,
1: now that, I, yeah, this only way you get physical. I, have, I own Blu-rays just to make sure I own the movie.
2: Yeah. But right. I don't have a
1: way to play it. It's but just like security. Have- like, I yeah. got, if I need to get a Blu-ray player, I'll go find one at eBay,
2: you know? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Armageddon, mm-hmm. two things. I got to get, honey, we got to get food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, three things. Water. What was the third oh, water? Oh, Blu-ray, right. <laughs> he's like, all right, I'm going out there. I got the ma- the to watch on. some
1: Rick and Ralph when I'm in <laughs> lockdown.
2: Honey, if I'm not back in 30 minutes, just write me off. It means I didn't find a Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> and he leaves their house. Well, Willow star Warwick Davis is Warwick. not happy. Just like us, he's not happy about the removal of the Disney Plus Fantasy Adventure series. <laughs> yeah. uh, he wrote on uh, Twitter, Quote, I meet lovely people on a daily basis who are fans of Willow, who are the reason the Disney Plus series was made. Please tell me, Walt Di- at Walt Disney Co. He tagged a minute. What do I say mm-hmm. to these subscribers when they ask why they can't watch the series anymore? Hashtag embarrassing. Tagging Disney is like the modern equivalent of now what you're going to do. Right.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know you saw it. What are you going to do? Buddy? Yeah, and I like Warwick <laughs> Davis a lot more than I like, let's say, the corporation of Disney. That's right. Right. Yeah. right. I liked yeah. Disney. Yeah.
1: I
0: enjoyed the show. I would yeah. absolutely watch a, another season.
2: So on a related note and pulling together our love of some uh, old animated uh, characters and this concept of, you know, uh, I guess a disappearing uh, media that we might otherwise enjoy. Uh, As reported by the Hollywood Reporter, Warner Brothers reverses course on Coyote versus Acme. So I didn't know about this until they reversed course. But earlier this year, the Hollywood Reporter uh, broke the news that this film would become Warner's third already shot film to get shelved Mm -hmm. after previously nixing nearly completed projects Batgirl and Scoob Holiday Haunt in Mm -hmm. August of of 2022. Now, Mm -hmm. first of all, just as an aside, I was disappointed when Batgirl got shelved. I had hopes for that. That was a film in which uh, Michael Keaton was, again, once again, to reprise his role as uh, Batman Mm -hmm. slash uh, Bruce Wayne as a mentor. Brendan Fraser plays the bad guy. There was a lot of things going for it. Never going to see it. That pissed me off. But I didn't know there was even going to be a Scoob holiday haunt. I liked the (laughs) other Scoob that they did. That was really good. Uh, Mm -hmm. First one. uh It was cute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Inoffensive. (laughs) <laughs> fucking Warner
0: Brothers. Cute Anyway.
2: <laughs> the coyote. We, cute and inoffensive. No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> those would not match so much. Well, it was I, cute and I was offended. No. They, did you watch that, Sean? They had, uh, what's his that's name? What they had the I other character he? in there. It was uh, him and Dino Mutt. It was, uh, right? It was Dino Mutt. And the, who's Dino Mutt's uh, guy? It's. uh, uh Hawkman? Uh, Haw- it's not no. Hawkman, but it's like, it's like no, Falcon it's or. Else.
1: Yeah, yeah, Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. The guy with like the yellow beak as a shield yeah. over his
2: eyes. All was, white suit. Yeah. That was cool. Another Water Brothers character. And that was really awesome. Mm. Another Saturday morning favorite of mine.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, this Coming particular back. uh cancellation, uh, the coyote versus Acme film, roiled the creative community perhaps even harder than those other two because Those had been positioned as one-off change in strategy never to happen again. But according to sources, Mm. after the Coyote versus Acme news broke last week, several filmmakers instructed their reps to cancel meetings that they had on the books with Warner Brothers. Good for them. Because
1: you could be next. Yeah. So it occurred to me, you guys both said a second ago, that you weren't aware of this film until it was canceled. Yeah. Nope. It is the most literal interpretation ever of don't know what it got till it's gone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) right? (laughs) You don't absolutely. Know what you've got. Yeah, you're right. That you is the most. Little, you're right. The it's most little. Usually, it's like true. you did have it, didn't realize it. You right. literally didn't have it. You But didn't now you it. know about it. It's gone. It's right. Like that... It's not that we didn't appreciate it. We didn't know about. It. Yeah, John. That's, mm-hmm. that's now you do. Tight. <laughs> it's that's gone. Yep. Super tight there. <laughs> yeah. Now, while Batgirl was when when it was shown the narrative emerged that it w- it was axed because it, it didn't do very good. You know, the, the mm. test screenings. Uh, 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 And um, I'm trying to remember, it's Peter Safran, I think, of of the film who took over, you know, he and James Gunn took over the DC universe for Warner Brothers, said that the Mm -hmm. film wasn't release, quote, releasable. Mm. Other folks have seen it, said they don't know, they don't know what he's talking about. And everybody, you know, sort of agreed that this was just instead intended to be a tax write-off, that it would, they'd make more money or save more money by writing it off than spending all the money that would be necessary to promote it and get an audience in there to make their uh, investment back. That's astonishing to me.
1: I wonder if they're changed their mind and their, their rating scale about what's releasable post quantum mania because that was unreleasable. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you guess yeah. you wish
2: Marvel would have the some of the, some of the same restraint. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right. But unlike those, huh. unlike Batgirl and those, at least as a uh, story that the, the, the publicists spun about it, Coyote versus Acme was actually fully completed, which they said Batgirl still needed some work and it tested yeah. Multiple times in the 90s, which is a score mm-hmm. that's akin yeah. to, you know, Academy mm-hmm. Award winning films.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: And folks that s- saw it c- couldn't pr- conceive of a reason why it wouldn't be released. Director David Green's industry friends mobilized to prevent that kind of messaging. That, again, that it was a, it was too to be, to be uh, shown in theaters from tainting mm-hmm. the reputation of the film. And now the studio will allow director Dave Green to shop his live action animation hybrid movie to other potential buyers instead of just shelving it for the tax write-off. Good. So again, they're, mm-hmm. they're, he's going to have, so it's Warner Brothers produced, you know, they mm-hmm. partly were uh, helped get the money together and all that, but he's going to have to find someone else to distribute it. They don't want any part of that. They don't want to. They don't want to okay. invest the money in the marketing. Well, good. Let
1: someone else make the mint that is available off of that film. Yeah, I had first heard about it, I guess. I wasn't following it closely, but I remember reading about it some years ago oh. because they talked to, they made the comparison to Roger Rabbit because this is a combination of live action and animation and like the worlds mm-hmm. are blended somehow. Mm-hmm. And then it made me furious to hear this news. Like it reminded me it existed. And then I saw these leaked stills and I'm like. That's going to be great. Mm. So nothing better could happen to Warner Brothers than to go, we don't want to do it. Shop it out and someone else make a killing on it and build a franchise. Mm -hmm. And there Mm -hmm. you go. I also think about the creatives. Like I just do goofy internet videos and podcasts. But if Uh I do something and somebody says, no, we're not going to let anybody see the work you put into this. Think of all the people that work on a motion picture. Yeah. It's not just that crew. It's not just the actors. It's all the effects people and all the, everybody that put blood, sweat and tears into that mm-hmm. and it was done and good. It's just reprehensible to pull it for that kind of a reason. So I'm glad that, I'm glad that people took a stand against them.
2: And like anybody creating anything, their goal is that it's seen, not necessarily that they mm-hmm. make money or that yes. it's, you know, well-received. That's, that's, you know, someone else's concern. As an artist, it's Yeah, to, all happy side effects. Right. Yeah. I want to just be able to hang that art on the wall. Yeah, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm happy to hear you say Roger Rabbit, John. That was that was one of my
1: favorite movies
2: mm-hmm. uh, after yeah. it
0: came out. I loved that. So yeah, anything anything in that style.
1: It, it was being it was being positioned as comparable from what I had heard oh. in terms of oh. the awesome what they were aiming for, right? I don't know mm-hmm. how it, how they delivered on it, obviously. This was sure. some time ago, but that's what it had me excited about it. So,
2: it was Yeah, I think I think I read that Amazon is uh, the front runner or believed to be the front runner right now to get
1: it. <laughs> okay. Now, mm-hmm. interestingly,
2: uh the Hollywood Reporter points out that uh, the plot of Coyote versus Acme follows the speechless ever determined Wiley Coyote as he teams up with a lawyer to fight the big Acme corporation, and just like in the cartoons, You know, he coyote buys these acme devices to try to kill Roadrunner, but they never work properly. Mm. They often explode. So he's gonna sue them. (laughs) So uh, so uh, Hollywood Hollywood reporter puts it this way, saying the third shelved Warner's movie, in other words, is the story of an underdog taking on a heartless company whose executives don't realize there can be real consequences to making their products blow up in your face.
0: Perfect. Mm.
2: Interesting. Perfect. <laughs> Which is the story of this film, it seems. <laughs> uh, ding, ding, ding. Now, in Related News, Variety reports that Congressman uh, Joaquin Castro is uh, has taken to Twitter to call out Warner Brothers Discovery for planning to shelve the completed film for the sake of receiving a $30 million tax break. Uh, he wrote, the Warner Brothers tactic of scrapping fully made films for tax breaks is predatory and anti-competitive. As the Justice Department and FTC revise their antitrust guidelines, they should review this conduct. End quote. Ooh, whoa. Uh, he, he the, De- the Texas Democrat concluded his message by saying, quote, as someone remarked, it's like burning down a building for the insurance money, end quote.
1: Oh. <laughs> so that frowned upon yeah. now? I guess it must be.
2: You know. Yeah. Oh. It's 2023, John. It's so 2022. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Get woke, John. Yeah, it will go broke. So you know this whole thing that we're talking about in the last few stories here, you know, and John even reminding us about the conversation about uh, digital stuff. Once it's gone, we don't uh, right. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have access to it anymore. It, it reminded me of films that I've been trying to find films that I loved from the 1980s that I've wanted to mm. share with my kids, mm. but haven't been able to because they're not available digitally. And mm-hmm. in some instances, the media they're inv- <laughs> that they're only uh, were ever created on doesn't exist anymore. It's like a CED oh, no. disc, you know, from the early 1980s mm. or something. Oh. I'm talking pre-laser disc. Uh, anyway, this, this got me thinking that once again, it's time to play. Listen, hey. you smell something. <gasps> All right, I got a number of songs, a number of movies here. I'm going to make this real easy for you, though. I'm so excited. I'm going to give you five. I'm just going to give you the synopsis that is off of IMDb of the film. And you tell me which of these surprising 1980s movies, one from the 1970s, is not available digitally. And again, in some instances, they're not available in HD at all. So they're not on Blu-ray. Nothing. You got to go find an old VHS or beta tape or a laser disc to watch these things. Wow. Where's my Madonna uh, record thing? Yep. Where's your your coaster? Call Madonna or cork cat. (laughs) (laughs) Madonna. All right. You got it. All right. All right. In this film, a civilian diving team is enlisted to search for a lost nuclear submarine and faces danger while encountering an alien aquatic species.
0: What am I supposed to do now?
2: Guess the movie? No, I'm wondering what John's favorite wall is in his.
0: (laughs) It's purple. I don't know what this is. John, do you know? Sounds like a movie John would know, though.
1: What's The Abyss? But uh That's right Hey
0: oh. okay. Nice
2: Yeah but <laughs>
1: <What> <laughs> we, you got to is, say? Is, is there is there a part two like is it available
2: though? Is that No the, the no these though? are not available All these films are the not, Abyss is available, not available, available for streaming. No. Get out of town. And we've been told for months now, uh. for a while, for years and now recently months that the Abyss is coming to four K, UHD, all that stuff. But it's oh. yet to be released. Now most recently oh, yeah, I was say. <laughs> most recently Cameron said. Any day now, it's out of my hands. He said, I've done all I need to do. I've remastered it, all that stuff. I've had mm-hmm. some, bo- I gave them bonus content. It's coming. So finally, it seems like we're going to get some sort of a hard copy version of it. And then it, presumably, it'll be available to stream. It's not yeah. available Perfect. to stream in, in the United States. And maybe it's available other places now, but Even places. the
1: nature mm-hmm. of this game you stumped me because no. I thought we were going to pick which ones were not available and oh, they're sure all not, not available yes I, as soon as you said I'm like sounds like abyss to me well I know that one's available just because it's such a movie you know mm-hmm. dang Do not stream okay. it yeah
0: I thought we all were right. choosing yeah is it yeah is it available or not or whatever all right John okay. this
2: one's for you this <gasps> is a 19, another 1980s film that's not available to be streamed hmm. at least when I last checked if it's available now that, oh. you're not whatever. culpable no, I, I, no, they're not available. <laughs> uh, when a group of trespassing seniors swim in a pool containing alien pods, they find themselves energized with youthful vigor. Oh, Cocoon. That's right. Right, right. Yeah, the oh, Ron, I think I Ron saw that Ron Howard. Yeah. Wow. Ron Howard film from 1985 is not available. Wow, Ron Howard
0: film. That's. Cream. You just did James
1: Cameron and now Ron Howard is like, it's not like right. these are little films that no. don't warrant a release, you know?
2: Now no, I going to be, I'll not. tell you, Kat, you get this next one here and I'm going to tell you, this one's obscure. I'm curious. If you guys have seen this film. It's <laughs> one of my favorite Uh-oh. films from the 1980s. Mm. <laughs> this uh, is probably it, the one it, I know. And, and this is the one that kicked off for me this hunt because I was been looking uh. for this film for years and waiting for it to come out. I don't understand why it's not available. We could talk <laughs> about that in a moment. This <laughs> is, here's your summary of the film. In a small mm-hmm. American town, a diabolical circus and a demonic proprietor prey on the townsfolk. Oh, my. Um, nope.
1: Not nothing. Prey upon the townsfolk? Yeah. Can you read it one more time? Either Just I am DB
2: descriptions. Okay. I, I don't know that. Right. and I, I didn't tweak them at all. In a, in a small American okay. town, a diabolical circus, I would say carnival probably, and its mm. demonic proprietor prey on the townsfolk. Why do you want to show this to your kids? Well, when I want to tell you what the movie is. You maybe you'll understand, or maybe you won't because you don't know what it oh, is. I I can't identify uh, it from that description. Right? Okay, it's nope. something wicked. This way comes. Oh, okay. from 1983. I believe it's a Disney. Because I've never actually. seen it. Then I got it. Okay, <laughs> directed by Jack. Lee. That's why. Oh my God, it's so good. It's got Jason wow. Robarts in it. Jonathan Price plays the bad guy. It is so mm. creepy and wonderful. I saw oh. it when I was you know young. It came out in 83 three. I probably saw it when it came out. So I was like 12 or so. Uh-huh. It was just scary enough for kids and just creepy enough. I don't know if it would hold up today, but, but also just clever and dark and moving enough for adults. I think. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's why I've been wanting to show my kids. Cause I feel like it's a good entree into horror movies kind of thing or scarier things. You know? hmm. Yeah. All right. Great film. All right, John, this, this one's up for you. A okay. wide, this is another 1980s film that's not available for streaming. A wide variety of eccentric competitors participate in a wild and illegal cross-country race. <gasps> Cannonball <gasps> Run? What? That's right. I, <sighs> I could have gotten
0: that one for sure. Oh,
1: man. Oh my
2: goodness. <laughs> Captain Chaos. Directed by uh, <laughs> former stuntman Hal Needham, our stuntman turned to director, mm. Hal Needham. Yeah, this 1981 Aww. film, again. No, not, available? not available for streaming. Oh my gosh. All right, Kat, this is the last one here. This one's for you. I had five, so it's not really even, but it doesn't matter. We're not keeping it. Score. Uh, <laughs> we can share this, this one. one is the one that came out in the 1970s, in the late 1970s. Okay. I think you'll get it. Hmm. During an escalating zombie epidemic, two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter, and his TV executive girlfriend, seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall.
0: Oh, Um, I just watched it, didn't I? <laughs> Wait, I don't know. I don't know if it? you
2: did. I don't, honestly don't um, know if you did.
0: No, I did. I did. Okay. Um, it's not Night of the Living Dead. It's the next one, right? No, no, wait. Um, Oh, gosh. Is it? No, is it the third one?
2: Oh, no. <laughs> How many did you watch? <laughs> you went from zero to all of them? <laughs> I watched
0: I watched Night of the Living Dead. Uh-huh. Just doing then, I also watched Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead. But now I forget. Like, oh, the which, order. Yes, I'm trying well, to remember. Well, it goes in the
2: order in which life happens. You know, like the world really happens. So after oh. night...
0: So it's, it's gone.
2: That's right. Yay. There we go. <laughs> we just had a teacher about science. <laughs> yeah. And, lo- and along with those films, there's a number. There's a number of films from different decades that are not available. I focused on the 1980s one. Here's some other ones that are surprisingly not available for streaming. Wall Street. Uh, mask. Mm. Not the mask. Mask. You know, with Eric Stoltz and Cher oh, based on a true story. Yeah. Silkwood. Another bio pick, or another story that's based on a, a true story with uh, Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wonder why as documented by GQ in 2019 screenwriter John August actually set out to figure out why this was the case because he wasn't able to find films that he liked uh, mm-hmm. and he had actually a friend of Ron Howard and reached out to him to ask him about Cocoon and at least at the time of this article he said that uh, Ron never ex- never responded. Oh, okay. <laughs> but the answer is probably that's a message. Not terribly yeah. surprising and semi straightforward and additionally confounding. For for one, yeah, but was certainly John's mm-hmm. indicating it comes down to money. That's certainly in part. Yeah. Um, but it's also what you said earlier in connection with the money. You know, when you talk about the bean count, we talked about the bean counters kicking stuff off of or getting rid of content. There's mm-hmm. so many choices now. Here's the first reason. There's so many choices now, they don't need to bring these in. You know, how much more is a cannibal mm-hmm. I think cannibal rum would be an argument, is a good poll oh, for that, maybe Love that maybe movie. even as a block of eighties films, this is a good pull, oh, a good draw they, for somebody. They, they, the
1: cocoon. I, yep. I never wanted to watch Cocoon more than when I turned 50. <laughs> so there's oh hope God. for my knees. This uh-huh. is great, you know, yeah.
2: but that, but the, you know, the fact that it's, it would be, there's a lot of uh, competition and, and me to, to get about, uh, you know, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, who are creating their own content, even Disney creating their own content. Eh, do I really mm-hmm. need this old stuff? You know, that kind of thing. But the other mm-hmm. part of it is August says is in almost all cases, the, the, the issue is of the rights In particular, figuring out who has them, (laughs) he says, obtaining and purchasing rights to stream to stream a title, thus giving its makers more money, sounds easier than it is. Sorting through who controls which rights and where they might be today, especially if the company is now defunct, Mm -hmm. can get complicated. Uh, And and throw on top of that, we've seen this happen before. If at the time they didn't have the licensing. For the music that was included in it, this oh, happens right, with TV yeah. shows. Oh man! Or the home video license didn't anticipate streaming and other types of platforms.
1: Yeah, you got a mm-hmm. whole
2: other challenge there.
1: WKRP in Cincinnati is notorious for that very problem oh, because okay. think how yeah. much it relied on music. It wasn't yes. even on VHS or DVD forever. Yeah, not even. I think on the, there was some remixes or something. I don't know if it's been released at all yet, but music was the problem because mm. they got the license for the music to be on the TV show. Not anticipating right. all these decades later
2: use, so right. yeah.
0: Wasn't that a problem for moonlighting too initially? If I that, remember, that's correctly. what I was
2: thinking as well, Kat. That sounds right. That was part yeah, of it. Yeah. August yeah. suggests, "Quote: The way this gets solved is to pay a bunch of paralegals to go through the contracts and get this figured out. <laughs> the challenge is that it's not really worth it for any one service to spend the money, as John pointed out, to get the yeah. rights to Flamingo Kid, which is also <laughs> another film that's not available."
1: Oh. Not one of Will's favorites, but it's on the list.
2: Yeah, there's a lot. You'd be surprised. And, and again, most of them are well-known films. Wow. You know, it's funny. <laughs> this is what happened. I, I'm, I had this thought in connection with these articles. So I do some Googling and a list, list comes up. And then as a result, like for example, I see a, a, a movie on there, Sleuth from 1972, which is mm-hmm. uh, Michael Kane mm-hmm. and uh, Laurence Olivier. And I'm reading the synopsis of Sleuth because I never I've really read. knew what that was about. And I, I've never seen mm-hmm. it. I read this enough. This is literally what happens. You guys know I'm an idiot. <laughs> wow. That sounds fascinating. I would like to watch that now. So I look up how to stream uh, Sleuth online. Yes. I'm reading an article about movies that can't be streamed. <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> On the list. And there you go. I would have done that. I literally, <laughs> I was like, oh, you can't stream this? What? That's
1: ridiculous. Oh. Oh, I just, and oh, now he doesn't uh, care about the movie anymore. Now he's just on a
2: crusade. <laughs> I got to pontificate. I know. I was thinking, can I get this some What's the physical media I have to get this on? It may never, it may never even been put on DVD, you know, film from 1972. Mm-hmm. 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 Anyway. All right. Hey, that was 1980s New Year. I know it doesn't sound like it because our show sounds so damn good, but we don't have a big corporate sponsor or a giant podcast network behind us. No. In fact, this show is brought to you week after week with the generosity of folks just like you, listeners who give us a dollar or two or more every month to help us pay all the different bills associated with creating a wonderful show about the 1980s. To find out how you can support our show with a dollar or two or the many free ways to help our show, visit 1980snow.com slash support. Whatever you do, thank you so much. So, hey. All Speaking right.
0: about creatives, something about creatives getting their work
2: mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I've got, I've got bad news, though. I was just told my book will never be published. I finished By? it, and now I was just told that.
0: By who? Warner Brothers. <laughs> Warner
1: By Brothers. Netflix.
2: Netflix and Warner Brothers, Yeah, Because of streaming reasons. Right? Exactly. They said they can't <laughs> stream it because it's on paper.
1: I got a scanner.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Ain't no sense. But anyway, yeah. So uh, these are between episodes and mostly, most often, uh, we've been catching up on where I'm at with my uh, 1980s novel. My novel that's set in the 1980s that's based in part on some true events and mostly made up. Um, <laughs> and I told you, I guess as a brief aside, you know, I had some minor setbacks with regard to some of the folks I wanted to talk to and their availability. Mm-hmm um mm-hmm. and some good news is two of the folks that were have been on my list that i've been wanting to speak to it's going to work out so we're going to talk to them Ooh, uh-huh. now one of them is not that guy that ghosted me <laughs> i don't even know if we talked about that on air but that is not he's not the right one. good uh he doesn't anyway. deserve to talk to you but i also won't say their names in case these folks disappear too. uh there you go but the other kind disappear? of disappear se- <laughs> what kind of book you writing you what? mention people and they've disappeared yeah. I'm going to make them just like Willow, you know? Hashtag embarrassed. Yeah. Real
1: nice book you got there. It'd be a shame I mean, if something were to happen to it.
2: Mm-hmm. Shame <laughs> if the bean counters counted your beans. Two.
1: <laughs> the
0: bronze shoes, baby shoes. What's coming up in, mm-hmm. for me? The bronze <laughs> shoes
2: weren't, weren't really bronze. They still got feet in them. Turns out you just spray painted them. Feet too, they all got spray feet, it's got prawns feet in them. Uh, nobody cares about these callbacks because they probably didn't They don't even know what do. anyway. Uh, so I do. the other, yeah, well, no, we do, of course, we do. Uh, but the other 24. setback I had was, and just for folks who, who may not know, so the, the book is set in 1980s, and, and primarily, it the protagonist is, uh, is an Indian teen who emigrates to the United States just as the right. story starts, and in part, we also deal with in some flashbacks. Some of the, uh, some of the, you know, uh, I don't know, I almost just said adventures, but that makes it sound light and fun. Uh, no. But some of the moments in the life of his father and mother, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as told in a flashback. So part of the challenge was researching, you know, Indian culture, which I did a lot. And then, as you guys mm-hmm. know, I've took, I've written this book slowly over years. It was mostly finished, you know, months ago. Or, mm-hmm. But I even had forgotten some of my research in a sense, because, you know, mm. I, I, I researched <laughs> stuff, I documented stuff, and then I wrote and so I yeah. came across two things that suddenly I was like, huh, I don't know how to deal with this. And so one oh. of them was, just to be direct, one of them has to do with the relationship of the father and mother I, I, I mentioned, because mm-hmm. I imagine that the way it's written is a kind of a Romeo and Juliet, you know, Capulet and Montague kind mm-hmm. of relationship where two families that mm-hmm. would not otherwise, uh, you know, find a sort of common ground have uh, members of their families fall in love. Mm-hmm. And just a week or two weeks ago when I was working on the book I spoke to uh, as I've done every now and then I spoke to a, a woman who's uh, of Indian descent you know emigrated here uh, really? she's a little older than we are and asked her about this concept like and I, and I was curious about like what 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 my courtship be in the 1960s in India and that she said it would not happen because <laughs> this is her, her words yeah. all marriages are arranged. In India. Mm. And I was like, well, I, I know that, but when you say all, it's not all, right? There's room for, you know, these no. Mm. And she she told me that <gasps> if I were to write a story that had these two characters from different families get married because they fell in love, no one would believe anything else I wrote. And therefore I mean, I just, just what she said. Therefore, don't write the book at all. <laughs> no. So I was pretty downtrodden at that, that response. Well, and here's why we
1: do research kids. Yeah. <laughs>
2: now, and I guess not that she needs defending, but just as a sort of a side, I suppose. Uh, I did find in 2018, a survey of more than 160,000 households uh, of of Indian households, 93% of married Indians said that theirs was an arranged marriage. And just like mm-hmm. I spoke to this woman, she said, my parents were an arranged marriage. My, my in-laws were an arranged marriage. and uh And so on and so forth. Just Mm -hmm. 3%, according to the survey, had, quote, love marriages. And another 2% described theirs as a love come arranged marriage, which usually indicates that the relationship was set up by the families, but then the couple agrees to get married. So in some instances, they arrange a marriage, but that you have a choice, Mm -hmm. you know, first right of refusal, I guess. Okay. You can't fire me, I quit. Kind of situation, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> now, go, you can't yeah. make us
1: get married. We wanna, so it's our yeah. choice, yeah. right? Yeah.
2: And just to be clear, because I want to be as respectful as I can as, as with regard to these other cultures that we're talking about, because I'm not a part of them, and you know, and they deserve respect and honor as much as an outsider can give with the limited knowledge I have. But she made it clear to me that, and the research I show is, show is that even though they're arranged marriages, it doesn't means that mean that these two folks don't fall in love. In fact, most of these marriages, these arranged marriages, the couples love each other and, they, and they're and they long lasting and wonderful. And this system works. Uh, now, Interestingly enough, she said to me, now, if you want to set your book in the 1980s when this, it, it was more open. So so they may actually add, I was like, well, what was part that? of it's in the 1980s, but not this part. Uh, not the marriage part, right? No. Yeah.
1: His parents so I felt would really, be in the 60s.
2: I felt really down right. about this for like a day or so. But then I remembered, mm-hmm. and I was mm-hmm. some more research and I remembered that I based these characters Uh, certain ones of them, in part on real people just because I didn't know enough about these things. And it turns out what I had, Mm -hmm. what I felt comfortable writing, why I felt comfortable writing about it is because Indira Gandhi, who was the first female prime minister, certainly of India, she was the second prime minister of all because her father, uh, uh, Nehru, was the first prime minister after Indian independence. She Mm -hmm. married someone that she picked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now this gentleman named Feroz Gandhi, now her name's Indira Nehru, Feroz Gandhi, Spelled G-N-D-H-Y, mm-hmm. by the way. Starts courting oh. her 10 years before they're married. And at, at that time, her mother says, no, she's too young. She's only 16. She's not getting married to anybody. Anyway, 10 years mm-hmm. later, this, this uh, Feroz ingratiates himself to their family. And even at that mm-hmm. point, Indira's father is against it. Right. No. And I think there may be, I think there's a or maybe a religious difference. He's Parsi and, and they're Hindu something like that mm-hmm. anyway so he's against it so much so that he asks mahatma gandhi to intervene gandhi you got to <laughs> talk to these two kids try me crazy they want to get married you got to talk them out of it gandhi meets with them so the story goes and says i think you guys are going to be okay so they do wind up getting married with Gandhi and ultimately Nero's blessing. Another side note, well, by the way. Not
1: to mention Gandhi's blessing. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, whatever your
1: dad thinks, yeah. Mahatma Gandhi just blessed this union. I think we yep. could probably move ahead with it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think he blessed your book too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah,
1: there you go. Um, I'm
0: working on it. Uh, yes.
2: just an interesting side note, by the way. I told you for Rose Gandhi spelled his name with a Y at the end. Mm-hmm. After the marriage. Yes. Uh, Indira has them change their spelling to with an I
0: uh-huh.
2: and it's believed for marketing purposes because so many people loved the Mahatma yes. that, you know, she could leverage that in her own political career that she had the hey, same yeah. 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 Optics, uh, yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. let Look, people assume that's fine. So there's, there was a precedent <laughs> for it and that's actually what I had based it on this notion. But even yeah. more than that, I just, it took me a 24 hour hours, maybe 36 hours to realize like, well, wait a second. What I'll just do is have these, at some point, the father to this woman will say, you know what? I do like that guy. I want you to marry him for whatever reason. All right, problem solved. Great. Now he arranged
0: it. Anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's the, the hybrid marriage you're talking about, right? Where it's like yes. it was arranged, yes. but then the people actually agreed. And so it wasn't like you got to do it against your will. It's like, oh, you set this up and that ain't too bad. Sure. Yeah. It's almost mm-hmm. the inverse
2: mm-hmm. of this, what they call like Love come marriage arrangement because that that they suggest the parents arrange it and then you get to decide, hey, hes uh, I don't like his mustache. Next. Mm-hmm. Power of veto. So this is more <laughs> the opposite. She brings a guy to her father and he says, all right, you know what? I do approve this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, let's just say, tell everybody I arranged it, okay? Just for my purposes. <laughs> I, I think that's what it's, it's like. Like uh-huh. low key asking for your parents'
1: blessing, yeah. kind of. <laughs>
2: yeah. So this led me to re- r- yeah. write a chapter actually, which- Oh, write right. a chapter where the the suitor winds up doing mm-hmm. something where the the father sees him in a different way, and ultimately it's like you know what I see what she sees in you. Nice. You have my approval for this. Uh-huh. And, right. Uh huh. And and that brings me to the next challenge I had because I'm trying. I don't remember exactly how I or why I was researching at this at this time, but anyway. Again, again, this is based on some real events, including the fact that, and in, in the the, thing, the chapter that I wrote, which is, you know, a short chapter, is set during a, I fudge it a little bit, of course, but during a real violent event that happened in the 1960s, late 1960s, in this area in which these characters live, uh, Gujarat, which is a state there in India. Um, and at the time in the 1960s, it was between Hindus and Muslims. Now, unfortunately, for decades, going to today, we still have these conflicts. Mm-hmm. Mostly it's in, like, uh, you know, sort of... Um, lower class areas where the folks are impoverished and suffering and it's just a mm-hmm. powder keg you know so the fact that they have this maybe difference in religion is enough to find a you know a distinction that causes sort of an outburst and violence unfortunately sadly in the 1960s it was these two groups were competing for work at this textile mill that had opened there essentially because a lot of textile work is done there mm-hmm. and this led to several different violent clashes between these groups which ultimately culminated in a bigger one and you know hundreds of people are killed, et cetera, and so forth. Um, Mm -hmm. And then bringing it more, so that's in my book now. And then more contemporary in my book in the 1980s is another event. And now this one instead sees a clash between uh, the upper and lower class folks, uh, which in part Mm -hmm. are referred to as the Dalits. And this is, and this is because just in brief, in the beginning of the 1970s and into the 1980s, the government started having affirmative action programs for these, these folks. Um, Mm -hmm. these lower class folks who are, there's different categories of them, but one of them is considered, um, they call them scheduled castes, which means they are not part of the caste system, which brings Mm -hmm. me to the point I really want to make. Anyway, the government started saying, you got to leave some jobs for these folks. You got to hire them because they're in these groups. You got to leave, you got to, uh, Enroll them in your institutions because of, you know, so it's affirmative action, what we would think of here right, for affirmative yeah. action. That's so I was about to say. Sure. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. Yeah. Well, other groups, you know, the upper, the upper class and middle class folks resent this idea that these, even the mm-hmm. fact, even though these universities and jobs, they couldn't find enough people that wanted their jobs. So the, the percentage that was <laughs> reserved for them didn't get, you know, filled, but anyway. And before, before I continue, just to be clear, you know, because I'm talking about upper class, middle class, lower class, uh, Hindu, Muslim, different religions, different groups, all these things, things we are calling out. Just to be clear, I mean, no, don't take my shorthand or talking about, you know, specific incidents of violence or aggression between two different groups for me to, that I'm suggesting in any way that an entire population of those groups is you know ill and ill-natured or you know otherwise uh, d- discriminatory, racist, etc. No, these very specific incidences. So you know when I talk about Hindu versus Muslim, etc., there was a particular incident that happened. And, and relative to the larger population of the you know country of India, it's small because most people, just like here in America, are good-natured, loving, supportive. Uh, not racist, etc. There's just, you know, there, there were these these clashes again. So don't don't misinterpret my language. I don't mean to disparage an entire group of anybody, because within a group of, you know, a large population, it's a small group, a minority of people that are doing bad things or otherwise have hatred towards another. And it's the same everywhere in the world, including in America, and including sadly right now where we see, you know, these pockets of anti-Semitic. Uh, you know, violence, uh, you know, or folks that can't decide if, uh, which side of this Middle East conflict to support because they're, you know, conflating a group of terrorists with an an entire population. It's wrong in any regard to suggest that entire group be represented by the the bad actions of a small number of, you know, relatively small number of people. All right. So just to be clear, so don't misinterpret my language. You know, it's, I may not, uh, you, you know what I'm saying. Anyway, again, we see riots that rapidly turn into, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, religious violence. Uh, So first they start targeting the lower, the the Dalits, which are these, you know, called the scheduled castes. Um, And then it becomes religious in nature. And then now, once again, Muslims are being targeted. You know, again, Mm -hmm. it's it's the other, right? It's the other. Who is responsible for my suffering? It's the other Mm -hmm. people that aren't like Mm -hmm. me. Therefore, I will get them. Uh, At that time, uh, and just... So, again, we had riots in 1981 in the same area. And then later in 1985, which is past the date when my, my book took place, the, the number of people killed in the 85 riot was estimated at somewhere between two and 300 folks. Mm-hmm. The, the police recorded 662 incidents and offenses related to caste, again, caste-based mm-hmm. violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 74 743 related to communal violence, which is other than caste-based, so it could be Hindu versus Muslim. Property damage at uh, what would be now uh, measure at one point seventy five billion dollars, which I said again, I said the Muslim community was became mostly the main targets ultimately, with hundreds killed, several uh, badly, several hundreds badly injured, twenty five hundred houses destroyed, and twelve thousand made homeless. So it's really bad, and this again, this still happens today, yeah, in India. And maybe I'm going too much into this, but ultimately, what I want to say is. What this writing about this new thing got me thinking again about caste and all this thing because I saw an article where today, uh, it, not today, but, you know, present in 2023, mm-hmm. California, there was a, a first term Senator Aisha Wahab was proposed a bill earlier this year to add caste to a list of protected groups in California, Hmm. which, you know, for me was like, oh, yeah, again, this the, the sort of my novel mm. is relevant in the sense that I'm trying to, you know. Show how these problems are everywhere. It's not just in India or mm-hmm. Gujarat. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if it were, if it were to be signed into law, the, it, California would become the first state to have this explicit this this uh, law that explicitly, uh, explicitly based on caste. So
1: you made a little leap there that I want to fill in the blanks and make, so I, make sure I understand it. Yeah, mm. that suggests there is enough of an Indian population in California that. Mm. Yes. That it that it registers on the Richter scale of maybe I shouldn't say it about California. It registers on oh, the scale dope. that there is yeah. some caste discrimination going on. Is that what I'm to understand? Otherwise why protect,
2: right? Right. Right. The first yeah. part is 100% true. The, after Mexicans Indians are the second largest minority population really? in California. Okay. Hmm. But the other part, it turns out, may not be true, this idea that there's enough of it to require this law. Because as I started reading about this present-day problem that was being raised, Mm -hmm. it made me sort of question things I had been writing about in my book in the 1980s because of Mm -hmm. that second part that you're talking about. It turns out that this organization, and I reached out to the senator to see if uh, she would speak with me about the law, and her office said that Mm. she's not talking about the law anymore. Um, (laughs) Okay. Turn, but they did say, hey, talk to the sponsor of the bill. They're the, the, the group that came to us advocating, saying they needed this. And it was this organization called Equity Labs, which describes itself as a Dalit civil rights organization. Remember, Dalits, I told you, are this mm-hmm. lower mm-hmm. caste or lower class outside of the caste system in India. Uh, and that mm-hmm. they were the sponsors. Um, but throughout the summer, however, and so you think, well, my first thought, you know, as a bleeding heart liberal is, yeah, get them, Equity Labs and Protect the caste, lower, you know, outward, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, the scheduled caste in our country. But throughout the summer, hundreds of people mobilized outside the state capitol to protest this law. Well, who's against (laughs) discrimination? Wait, wait, who's against
1: discrimination? (laughs) Sorry,
0: who's against anti-discrimination laws? Who's who's against anti-discrimination laws,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well- again oh. there are yeah
2: yeah well okay yes
1: yeah. there are definitely groups but you might have answered your own question but here's <laughs> Wait, the surprising right, yeah, part
2: yeah. of it yes yeah the surprising part is that among those folks that were opposing the bill included groups like the global hindu federation really oh yeah which was which chaired by a guy named uh well pandit satish k sharma and i'm going to talk about him in a, in a moment here and the hindu american foundation these two groups were arguing that the law was different than other uh, uh, legally, the law was doing something that was proposing to do something different than other laws that protected, you know, certain categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Suhag Shukla, I'll say, the executive director of the Hindu American Foundation, said that quote: "Everyone has a race. Everyone has an ancestry. Everyone has a gender. Everyone has an age. Not everyone has a caste." End And, right. quote. and okay. further, since the U.S. already so. s- effectively bans this type of discrimination through other types of uh, this type of discrimination and get through other types of legislation. So you get, you want to scooping up anti-caste, uh, you know, discrimination in some other laws, like one. So is needed. his
1: argument that, that this new bill would be superfluous then? It's not necessary because it's already kind of handled and it's- It's a two-part thing.
2: Okay. That's, that's the of, one thing okay, you've already right. covered. The second thing that's more troubling is that he said as a result, because it's, again, not everybody has a caste, only Indian people were told have a caste. It serves mm-hmm. only to stigmatize the entire community of mostly Hindus and South Asians with a broad brush. Because what, what hmm. they're saying is, since Indians have a caste, only Indians are going to discriminate against people with this, based on caste. So mm-hmm. therefore, Indians discriminate. And here's <laughs> another reason not to like Indians would be their, their argument. Whoa, what? That's their concern. Uh, here's uh, the uh, thing to note. Indians, hmm. people of Indian
1: descent, yeah. are damn people. People yeah. have that behavior mm-hmm. against other people, regardless of, yes. and talk about paint with a broad brush. Yeah. Humans are the worst sometimes. It's not just mm. from that region of the
2: world. Yes. I, except I, how would you know who, you know, so this, you're, you're, you're a hiring guy at a work. How do you know someone's cast? To well, that's such perfect. Ascent?
1: If I don't know about it, I cannot discriminate against it. Exactly. (laughs) But for those who do recognize it, maybe there there needs to be some protection. I don't know. I have not read the bill. I'm not informed Mm -hmm. about it. But just on a pure Mm -hmm. humanitarian stance, Mm -hmm. if people are being marginalized and trivialized, sometimes they need some help. Yes.
2: But his argument is only the Indian manager is gonna know if this person is even of a certain cast. Therefore, it's Indians that are doing that discrimination. So like when you said all humans are, can be awful, yes, asterisks, but Indians, <laughs> also Indians specifically. Let's make sure we know those Indians.
1: Right In this column, they're the only ones that can do that thing, I hear yes. you. Yes, yeah. so one, there's only
2: one race singled out as being able to do this one offensive thing is what he's saying. Right. So you add that to the fact that this is superfluous and mm-hmm. there, it turns out, no one's really doing this in vast numbers of any kind, as far as they could tell, or oh, any mm-hmm. re- really legitimate. So uh, Gavin Newsom in October vetoed the bill, which, which agreed in the sense that he said there was already laws in effect that protect uh, oh. folks against this type of discrimination. But okay. digging deeper into this, it turns out this equity labs may not be the most, may not be a, uh, you know, a beneficial organization. Mm-hmm. Look, now here's where we take this with a big grain of salt. Because this guy that I'm about to tell you about brings up stuff like critical race theory and uh, Mm -hmm. George Soros, blames George Soros for certain things. So already he's in a certain category, but he pointed out certain things that seem maybe to be believed. In fact, including the fact that one of the women who's sort of the uh, spokesperson, I guess you'd say for this organization, certainly one of the faces of it, claims to be a Dalit herself. Mm -hmm. But he points out, but she was born in America. So technically she could never be a Dalit because Dalits are folks who are born of a certain low class, you know, in India. So if you're born into, let's say, a poor family in America, it doesn't mean you're a Dalit. It means you're, you know, maybe there's other types of discrimination or challenges you have. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing he said. He also, again, traces the money and, and, and raises some questions about it. Ultimately, he thinks that there's Muslims behind this that are just trying to make Indians, Hindus and Indians, look bad. Now, that seems, uh, look, except for the George Soros stuff and the other thing I mentioned, I don't know. He makes a convincing argument based on what I read about Mm -hmm. this organization, that there's something else going on here, especially when they were proposing a solution where there wasn't a problem. I I get that. what keeps nagging at me is
1: this category of Dalit is an arbitrary label based on inheriting the sins of your parents. They were, therefore you are. Mm. And now- (laughs) If you're born in America, you can't even be in that club. So even that club is exclusionary. (gasps) Not that someone wants to be in that, you know, negative connotated group. Right. But the point is, why are they, why are you labeling them in the first place in the modern era? (laughs) Mm -hmm. What's the reason for saying, well, you were born this side of the tracks. Therefore, you are this kind of person. Yeah. Right. Geography and who my parents are. Don't have a bearing on who I'm going to be. Now they can influence me through nurture, right? Not nature, mm-hmm. yes. but mm-hmm. it implies that nature overrides the nurture and you're going to be that kind of person. Therefore we label well, you that. Yes. Ruffles my feathers, gets my dander up.
2: Well, yeah. And John, you're raising some of the sort of, I think some of the points that came up when I was researching the history of how we got to this point mm-hmm. in India with this idea of caste and Dalit. Because reading that there was even a controversy over this law, which I thought would be like you were saying originally, it's uncontroversial, right? Folks need protecting, let's protect them. But yeah, reading that there was right. a controversy, had me then read this book that this, this guy that I told you about, Pandit uh, Satish Kate Sharma wrote, called Cast Conversion, A Colonial Conspiracy, to learn what his perspective was. Mm-hmm. And find out, again, because I already, I told you guys a couple <laughs> episodes ago. I knew caste wasn't an Indian notion entirely. It wasn't indigenous to India. It was imposed. I I remember reading that. You're reading a book and going deep. And I said, this all started
1: because Will wanted to watch The Abyss. And now here we are.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. If if sleuth
1: was available. (laughs) And now Indian caste system analysis and legislature. How did we get here, right?
2: So... uh, I keep, I keep using this word Dalit. So Dalit, the etymological origins is that it means it, the word literally means broken. And it was uh, adopted after Indian Mm -hmm. independence in 1947, I suppose, or sometime after the Indian independence to to refer to those people who are deemed of so low a class that they didn't rank in the so-called caste system. Wow. And actually it replaced a more offensive term called untouchable. Mm-hmm. And we could talk about that in a moment, but it, it, it's they were called untouchables. This group of folks that were, you know, sort of you know, lower class folks, born into being lower class, uh, because they were believed that they couldn't literally be touched. You couldn't literally touch them without sort of just getting their sort of poisoned in a sense, where you needed yeah. a ritual. They're, they're unclean.
1: They're they're yes. tainted, mm-hmm.
2: right? And not wow. just figuratively, but yeah. Uh, anyway, the, the the Indian government mm. now refers to the those formerly known as the Untouchables and then Dalits as the scheduled caste, as I mentioned, Uh, for the most part. Dalits to their, a lot of people have adopted, taken over though, you know, reclaimed, claimed Dalit as a term of, you know, empowerment, Mm -hmm. uh, folks from that group. But anyway, but according to Mm -hmm. a pundit Satish K. K. Sharma that I mentioned in that book, the concept of caste is not indigenous to India, but it was instead imposed upon the Indian people by their occupiers, the British Raj, as a means of dividing and conquering India. Uh mm-hmm. the word "caste," and I did tell you this I recall this was it first appears in the mid sixteenth century and first appears in mid sixteenth century Europe, meaning in general race or breed a, a, as adapted mm-hmm. from the Spanish and, and Portuguese word Uh, casta. uh mm-hmm. now modern day caste is, is defined as having these attributes, which John uh, alluded to it's something mm-hmm. that's hi- hierarchical it's endogenous, which means you marry your own kind
1: uh mm-hmm. and
2: hereditary. So hereditary Mm -hmm. meaning, you know, I guess you inherited heard it from your parents, like John was saying, at least at the perception, right? But when we think about those notions, that is how certainly at the time in the 19th century and before British social structure was, European social structure was, right? You had the aristocrats, you had the, you know, Mm -hmm. all the way down to the peasants. You did have Mm -hmm. these different stratifications and folks were, it was hierarchical, it was endogenous. I hope I'm saying that mm-hmm. right in, in hereditary. Uh, anyway, but according mm-hmm. to Pandit Sharma, there is no equivalent of that concept or that word caste, in Hindu scripture. Instead, they have this mm-hmm. thing that's referred to as Varna and Varna, many non Hindus like, like ourselves, you know, Western folks conflate this with caste. but Varna is a Sanskrit mm-hmm. word that means type order class, mm-hmm. uh, Mm-hmm. And it comes from this, uh, from the Bhagavad Gita, which is, you know, the core of mm. Hindu sc- scripture, where Sri yep. Krishna says that he, he, that he created four variations of people, the intellectual folks, the warriors, the traders and the laborers. But there's no connection in, in the Gita th- that talks about hereditary hierarchy or endojami. Indaj- mm. Endojami, mm-hmm. I'm trying yeah. to say it differently. Yeah, yeah. conjugate indajami. that weird word. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the point that, <laughs> This author makes, which is like what John was saying is historically in India, as in most other places in the world, children often follow in the footsteps of their elders. And it's Mm -hmm. also often true that, you know, younger folks may just inherently reflect the values of their larger families or communities, Mm -hmm. uh, but they don't necessarily. Right. And they may outgrow them. So, Mm -hmm. but what was, what uh, the British did was by observing this Varna, you know, which was sort of a natural sort of evolution of different groups in India that just took to different professions or different er er areas of society. And they imposed this concept of caste saying that Indians were born into certain things and they had to be it. So (laughs) just by your nature of lineage, you're the upper class, all the way down to Dalits who are not even considered in the, the four types of people that the uh, Gita mentions.
1: So if I could refocus this back to, not that we're not talking about your book, yeah. focus back to on the actual yeah. work that you're putting into the book. Yeah. We just spent 20 very fascinating minutes talking about, you know, kind of the, the, the nuances, the connotation, all this kind of stuff, how it's come to America, which, you know, is very pertinent to your novel. Mm-hmm. How do you as an author determine yeah. this is not a document of how these things got there? So you have this line to walk. Where mm-hmm. for someone that understands this caste system, you need to make sure you're true to it and refer to it and follow it. But for a reader who's, yeah, dummy John, who grew up in mm-hmm. the woods in Florida, doesn't know anything about that, yeah, you need to con- convey to him what that stuff is about without it sounding like a lesson,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah
1: that's, that's yeah. like a razor to walk and to go, I mm-hmm. want to make sure I serve these people, but don't underserve
2: or overserve the other group that Meyer might not understand right. it fully. Yeah. You're right. And and you're 100% right. And so what it does result in, obviously it's got to be uh, expository in some way. So the mm-hmm. trick, yes. I guess, is when you're trying to hold people's interest is not making it seem like strictly done for the sake of exposition. So, yeah.
1: Cue the flashback.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> what, for, for, exa- this, for right now, the, the brief explanation, I'm telling you all the stuff that winds up being like two sentences in a, in a, in a book. Mm-hmm. The reason why I even care about this is uh, you know, the like, this is spoiler. Hopefully folks will read my book, even though that I'm telling you a lot of these different twists and revelations, is the the mother character that I mentioned was the Juliet in my analogy earlier mm-hmm. is, a, mm-hmm. is from a political dynasty who fights for civil rights and winds mm-hmm. up getting killed uh, as she's part of one of these violent things. She's mm-hmm. mistaken for a Dalit or someone who's, you know, or she's, they, she's seen as someone that's, she's in the way of protecting a Dalit. She winds up getting killed. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to be able to explain why they would even need to help, you know, from other, Mm -hmm. I get into this idea of caste and dollar, but you're right, John, I want to represent it. My, my goal is that an Indian person reads and goes, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. I'm not Mm -hmm. offended. Right. Now I've had some younger Indian folks read it that are our age. And I think even by our generation, they might not even know all what I just told you, you know? So to them, it's even a little squishy. But so, yeah, I put a I put, in America and part of what I'm trying to draw in my story is an analogy that like, you know, it's easy for Westerners to dismiss maybe these things as and part of the, the, that law and part of what the British did was said, you know, they talked about the. the, the so, again, they, they sort of impose this caste system. They say it's rigid. Look, and they vilify Indians as a result of it. Look what they do. If you're born right. into a poor family, you have to stay poor. And the British government did that to, you know, again, divide and conquer, but also the Church of England, again, according to uh, Sharma, uh, used it as, uh, you know, uh, what's the, I don't want to do a repeat of last week, but, you know, use it as a, <laughs> as pretext to be able to mm. convert a bunch of non-Christians. Mm. So you have mm-hmm. reverence, uh, is proselytizing the right word? You, you know, they're doing these mm-hmm. fiery sermons yep. about mm-hmm. attention all Indians, uh, attention and uh, in, in, in Hindus. Uh, you have this horrible system, the caste system that's keeping you down. Mm -hmm. You're born into this low class. You got to stay there. No, let me tell you about our church. So, Mm -hmm. uh, this is what, and if you look again, I I wrote off the other guy as maybe being, you know, not being entirely of a, sort of a philosophy, maybe a political philosophy that I adhere to, but this, this gentleman and he, and he likes this author and this, this author of this book, uh, actually this, this, This gentleman, uh, Pandit Sharma, Satish K Sharma, he spoke at a one of these uh, rallies against that law I told you about. But this uh, this author, as evidence that uh, what the British did, in in particular with this caste system and their hand in creating the Dalits that I told you about, he cites Mm -hmm. this 1871 law that the British government enacted. Again, they're, they're 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 occupying controlling India in 1871. They enact the Criminal Tribes Act which Sharma writes labeled whole Indian communities as guilty at birth. <sighs> at the time, British parliamentarian Lord James FitzJames Stephen, which sounds like a made up name noted quote, <laughs> when we speak sounds of professional criminals, we mean a tribe whose ancestors were criminals from time immemorial who are themselves destined by the <laughs> usage of caste to commit crime and whose descendants <sighs> will be offenders against law until the whole tribe is exterminated oh and my quote. gosh sig heil as a result Indeed. of passing this yeah uh, absolutely 100 yeah. yeah. percent. and as a result of this act they gained immense powers over these people these downtrodden people so they defined <laughs> them as downtrodden said oh you're horrible indian community brothers <laughs> are keeping you, sisters are keeping you down and by mm. the way because you were just destined to be an awful person according to your own culture now we have power over you to monitor you, to tell right. you where you can live, where you can travel, you have to register. Yeah, it's it's very uh, third right.
1: So I can you know. protect you from yourself and the rest of the world from you. It's yep. justified. Yeah.
2: Right. Well, after 75 years later, after it's 75 years later, so the British occupied India for, for almost 90 years, 89 years. But 75 years after this law is passed, India finally gets uh, independence. But generations of Indians now have been born into and grown up with this idea that a certain mm-hmm. group within them is by birth tainted. Yeah. Wow. And so I can't wow. inevitably it's going to affect how they feel about them. And that's where of we get course. the untouchables which ultimately we call the Dalits and now the Schedule yeah. Casts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's all I want to say about that cat. <laughs> Specifically. So So I do have a, I tell you all that to tell you this. So I just do it like this when they, I wanted to again, show how in America we've had these challenges too. We have people born into poverty that are destined Mm -hmm. to be in poverty Mm -hmm. Mm and not by family, but by societal structure. And we have our own. You look. You can go look again. This is me now. The, folks who who are on one side of the political aisle versus mine, they're tuning out. If they haven't, they're never listening again. That's fine. <laughs> but like one of the one of they're the things lost. that guy I mentioned that said uh, that that equity labs is sus suspicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things he also cited was, oh, and they're mentioning critical race theory too. Now look, first of all, if you're not if you're not if you're of the conservative mind, you already mathematically think that's conservative. Critical race theory is bad. Tell me what it is. I guarantee right. you don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, really, when it comes down to some bullshit name made up by somebody who is just trying to gin up votes, because it's not a real it's thing just, that's happening. But but what it comes down to critical race theory, at least the idea as it's pitched, is knowing enough history to understand how, as a society, now I'm talking about America in this instance, may mm-hmm. influence You know, affect how one group is ultimately treated and therefore, you know, Mm -hmm. all the things that. So in our country, as a result of slavery for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Not a short time. The Civil War (laughs) ended in 1865. We didn't have the Civil Rights Act till 1964, a hundred years later. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's going to be just like with the Dalits, you know, in 75 years, they're now thought of even by their own as maybe untouchable. Of course, there's Mm -hmm. results here. So in my book, I try to make some parallels to that idea that they move from this one place that has this communal violence. The father thinks, hey, me and my kid are going to be safe now. But again, this is based on mm-hmm. a true story. Guess what? This particular area in New Jersey where, they, where I grew up, Indians are great in number. I think second only to one other city in New Jersey at the time. Mm-hmm. And by some portion of the, the, the city, they are hated. They are targeted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, John, to your earlier question, I do have one character who's a, you know, a, a community organizer, Indian, trying to rally mm-hmm. up people to fight against these, explaining to the father who just moved there, we have this group, we're getting together, and the father's like, hey, we're in America, I don't want any part of this, we're good, we got cops here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. He mm-hmm. explains to him briefly, you know, in, in how in India, the British created the cast, or created the cast and made the Dalits, right? You know that story yep. about how that works? Right. He says it to the one guy. Yeah. Okay. Well here in America, we're all Dalits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's basically Ouch. how it's exposited. Ouchie. Ouchie. Anyway, all right, there you go, cat. Yeah. Go take a nap. I'll go to bed. <laughs> John get something to eat. Cat, go to bed. You're off I the readers wait. list. You're off the readers list. <gasps> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's it's late and it's it's heavy stuff. I
0: can't wait to hear it again. Like when I'm Cat, <laughs> oh, like. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <No more away. laughs> My test
2: of, of, if I think that episode's good, is if I uh-huh. want to listen to it again, I probably won't listen to the second half of this one. I'm, I'm not lying to you. I'm not lying. You know
0: what? Yeah. It's just the sound of your voice was so soothing. Yeah, so
2: soothing.
1: It was
0: just it's like so... Your voice yes. is like mm-hmm.
1: a pair of pants tucked in socks. It's so comfortable. No. Yes!
2: Yes! Mm. <laughs> mm. yes. So
1: we before we come. wrap up the episode... Yeah. It's mm. it's time mm. to play mm. ding how's will doing? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Get so, your spreadsheet out. We last spoke we actually we yeah. we 2 weeks ago we didn't have this conversation. We missed an, a, a week. So that was yeah. uh that was week 44. So the last time we talked about this was week 42. Now you remember you we were yeah. trying to for those just tuning in we're trying to accomplish encouraging will to complete his yes. book by the end of the calendar year. Uh, and, and and it's not us imposing this upon him. That is his goal, and we're trying to help right. get him there. Right. And I want yes. So when we spoke, you were actually running a little behind. Um, mm-hmm. we, we'd estimated you need about two percent of completion every two weeks, so about a percent a week. And when we talked back in mid October, you should have been at about eighty nine percent complete. And right. you said, you know, I'm about about a point and a half behind. I'm about you know eighty seven and a half percent. Well, and I I mentioned to you then. Well, keep in mind when you fall behind, it's not enough to resume your previous velocity. You've got to compensate for the time you've lost. So Mm -hmm. knowing that now four weeks ago, effectively, you were at 87.5% and the end of the year, we're trying to get to 100. I know the number that is your par where you need to be.
2: Mm -hmm. Do you have a feeling of where you are now on a percentage scale? I do. And it's based, and I, it, gratefully, I had those couple of setbacks a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and it launched mm-hmm. me into this sort of research that slowed me down, but really coming out mm-hmm. of that and learning what I did and led me to make some decisions about my story to navigate these things in a way that uh, I got more accomplished than I would have otherwise, I think. Mm-hmm. And so Ooh, I okay. think I'm around so you 90% kind of a fire percent now. You. Yeah. Were I, you? Think I think I'm about oh. 90% because it's like
0: ecto1 coming out of the fire <laughs> in
2: the, the new movie <laughs> once i had you know what is a lot of writing is especially when you're having to research stuff is until you have a vision or clarity or understanding mm-hmm. it's it's you know you're slogging away mm-hmm. and you're are you writing mm-hmm. stuff you're going to toss out but i was had mm-hmm. so clear in my mind how i was going to solve these couple of problems that mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it just sort of came out
1: okay so nice. i think about 90% do you, you have 90%. a feeling of where where you think par should be
2: I, I do. I don't, I don't. Have I don't. haven't been, I yeah. haven't been ever okay. lying on you to tell me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So based on the, the vector that we had you on, mm-hmm. you should today be at 93%.
2: Oh, geez louise. Ooh. It's awful.
1: <laughs> well, just keep in mind, you were behind four weeks ago. Yeah. We didn't speak okay. last yeah, week. Yeah. So that was in subsequent two more yep. percent, right? So at this moment, even though you've gotten some new velocity behind you, yeah. you are further behind the curve than you were a month ago. I don't say that to discourage you, obviously. I say it as a reality check that you don't, if you don't know where you are, you don't know how to adjust course. So, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's adjusting your deliverable date, whether it's modifying how you get there, whether it's making some concessions, I think it's important to keep that in mind as you push forward and go, look, if I really want to hit this date, I have to figure out how I can do that or change a variable somewhere.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, What I'm hopeful may happen is, because I I, I do this, I don't know if you do this with your work is, uh, anticipate it being more or more difficult than it really is. You Mm -hmm. you know, putting the Mm -hmm. bar out. Sure. That's fine. Right now I'm I'm working on the hardest stuff in the sense that I'm having to create new material. Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. one other story I want to write that's brand new. It's probably short, maybe a couple Mm -hmm. of pages. And then what I'm diving into is cutting some stuff and smoothing stuff over. And I think that as a result will go a lot faster because I'm just working on.
1: You feel like I'm just rewriting. The the tail end few percentile you think will go at a faster pace because it's not whole cloth generation. It's uh, editing and tweaking. Is that what you're saying?
2: Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I think I got another week, another two weeks or whatever of writing some new stuff and being Mm -hmm. done with it. And then, yeah, I think maybe December. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. it uh, go a lot more quickly. Yeah. Well, the next
1: time we'll do a check-in is the end of this month. So mm. so another couple mm-hmm. of weeks
2: right after Thanksgiving. So we'll see, what, right. see where you're at. Right. Cool. Oh, and mm-hmm. speaking of Thanksgiving, this is actually, this episode came out the week of Thanksgiving. Oh, yes. happy Thanksgiving. So I Thanks. think we should thank everybody, Kat. Do you need everybody? I think we should thank everybody,
0: including our early adopters like... Rick Parker Rick. and Karen Flieger.
2: and Karen. In a sense, it, look and, and, and when thinking about thinking everybody, let's thank everybody that even helped us throughout the whole year here, including Kathy Burke and and people oh, that yes. can, mm-hmm. and people throughout that continue to yes. help us that maybe we don't mention just because of the tier that they're at. Craig right. Anderson, Jillian Perry, mm-hmm. Nate Wallace, and mm-hmm. some anonymous anonymous person. Oh. Way to go, anonymous!
0: Get it. Also, thank you to our secret of our success level <laughs> Patreon supporters. Like Nick Gillery, Nick, Craig Coletta, Matt Marino, Ow. John Henderson, Another Brandon Greer, get it. Marcus Taylor, oh boy.
2: and Tony Great. Great. <laughs> yeah, and along those lines, I'm thinking everybody, also thanks to Brad Bowman. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also so helped like. us get through the year 2023, which we're not quite Thank at the end, Brad. Of, but we're, we're getting there. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody, have a great Thanksgiving. We will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. Until next time. Bye bye.